Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Hey everyone, before we get into today's podcast, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everybody the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, question and answers with Blue Wire's top podcasters access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks and on top of that we'll help get your show pushed out onto apple spotify google stitcher and all other listening platforms the best part is you can do this all for just 15 bucks a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge just for the initial setup so whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience Access to the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box of this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. And now, to the undefeated Cleveland Cavaliers. Blue Wire. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up to the left. Oh, blocked by James! It's over! It's over! Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cleveland Cavaliers select Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. Here comes Sexton. Some ribbon. And he got it, young ball. Continues to wear him up. Do you know what the Cavs fans are calling the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton backcourt? What? Sexland. Oh, that's good. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Cleveland Cavaliers are 3-0 coming off a win over the Philadelphia 76ers. No Joel Embiid, but you know what? Kevin Love, Isaac Okoro, and Dylan Windler were out, so I think that's a fair trade-off. With me today to help talk about all of this is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I am ecstatic, Justin. You know how excited I am about the Cleveland Cavaliers? How excited are you? I was cranking out manual true shooting percentage calculations. 
uh, for Colin Sexton last night because the stat updates hadn't uh, hadn't set in yet. So I am feeling very, very excited about a 3-0 start for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Despite some stuff that would normally take the wind out of our sails here, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great too, and it's exciting. I mean, you, you're seeing buzz. Like people that aren't Cavs fans are talking about the Cavs right now. They're getting mentioned on national pods. That's a lot of fun. Um, I'm getting people that reach out are reaching out to me, congratulating like me, like I'm doing something. I sure as hell I'm not. But one thing that people that reach out to me ask more than anything, Carter, is about you. Actually, they're they're wondering if you still hate Darius Garland. This was uh, always uh, lies and slander coming from the from the pro uh, Garland lobby uh, that you know <laughs> only accepted abject and blind faith with no no criticism or even comments about the current state of garland's game Mm -hmm. but i am pleased to report that the state of garland in my union is strong i'm thrilled he's playing like the point guard we thought we might see while still as we talked about showing the flashes of other kinds of playmaking that we thought was going to be maybe an added bonus it's it's not just the shooting and the scoring he's also uh, I, I think I've been most impressed by his passing so far in this early season. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. And especially when there is no other real point guard on this roster, his responsibility is pretty high up there. Like he he's responsible for generating a lot of their offense and to see not only his assists be up there, but seeing the whole team assist and the ways that he's able to make things easier for other players is really encouraging early on. I mean, I'm, I thought that this was what Darius Garland could become. Like I I looked at last season and I thought he made really good reads. uh, As I mentioned before, 14 and five, the last two months of the season. And I thought, okay, when he gets healthy, when he gets his confidence, he's going to be able to capitalize on those things that he was seeing last season in a way that he just wasn't able to back then. I didn't expect it to look this good this early. I mean, we're coming off of last game against the Sixers where he had 14 and seven, and that felt like a down game for him. And and that would certainly not be the case last year. No, I, I'm, I just, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by the way he's passing, the way he's setting up this team that, you know, was not by any means an elite ball moving, moving team. And I feel like it, it kind of starts with the way Garland seeing the floor. He's showing a ton of flash, like, so much of what, you know, we talked to Larry Nance before the season started and he talked about how confident Darius looks. And I feel like the kind of plays he's making are the kind of plays you only make if you're really feeling yourself out there. Mm-hmm. You know, the little behind the back pass drop off to Nance and transition, the no looks, the, these crazy high degree of difficulty passes that are just kind of dripping with flair. Like we just weren't seeing that stuff last year, even last year, Justin the kinds of plays he was making when we were saying we were encouraged by his ability to kind of read the game offensively as a, as a playmaker, Mm -hmm. they were really more of the fundamental variety, you know, a skip pass to the corner, uh, hitting, hitting the roll man and rhythm. This, this flair is pretty brand new. It is brand new. And I mean, this is to some extent the, the player that I thought the Cavs were drafting. I didn't think the passing would necessarily look that good. And that was kind of one of the revelations of last season. But looking back at it, read pre-draft analysis. The the conversation was, okay, well, are the Knicks going to take RJ or Garland at three? Like he was considered a consensus tier two guy after Zion. 
And he's starting to play like that. Like I, I didn't expect it to come along this early and yes, it's still a small sample size, but the kind of stuff he's doing, I don't really see him going back to being the guy that just floats around out there that you don't notice. He's going to have bad games. He's going to have games where the shot doesn't fall, where maybe he's a little more turnover prone than he wants to be, but it's, in the service of trying to get better and trying to figure out what works and doesn't work. He's not, I don't think he's really going to have a whole lot of games where he's being ineffective because he's just floating out there. I mean, he was on his way to one of those games against the Sixers and he really reclaimed it with a strong third and fourth quarter as they put the game out of reach, but you know, the, the shot wasn't falling. I think he started two for eight, but as you said, you're still feeling him out there and that, you know, that's uh, our dear friend David Zavak's number one criticism of Garland from last year is that he just didn't notice him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Certainly could not be said of him in this game uh, against the Sixers and and especially not the Pistons, where he was really making some unbelievable plays, uh, hitting hitting threes off curls, like just a lot of high degree of difficulty stuff. I just don't know how you don't feel completely thrilled with them. Exactly. And I think one of the most exciting aspects of this is it's not just the fact that he's individually playing better. It's the effect that it's having on the rest of the roster. Like right now, Sexland is having a moment and it's not just because Larry Nance shouted out the nickname. And I want to give a shout out because some people reached out um, and they were asking, they're like, Oh God, like uh, I've seen people tweet and they don't give you guys credit. We we're not the first to use it. Actually the first in our discord, shout out our, our guy Kane in, in the chase down discord. He was the first person to use it there. We're just Sexland believers. We are speaking the gospel of Sexland, and we just are probably the first ones to throw it on merch. So Sexland is for the people. I'm not claiming that we are for the people as well, but seeing how, Sexton and Garland are making each other better and the effect that it's had on Sexton is super encouraging early on. I mean, his off-ball awareness is a lot higher than it was even last season during his good stretch. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, almost a matter of it, it's two things. It's one a matter of him realizing what his game is supposed to be and then similarly, I think it's also a matter of him realize of Garland realizing that just realizing his potential mm-hmm. ultimately we've wanted to move Sexton off ball for a while. And we've all kind of said for some time that that kind of is his ideal role. Like, yeah, we could try to fit a square peg in a round hole and say, Hey, you need to go figure out how to be a really, really elite point guard that gets guys into their sets, but that's not playing to Sexton's strengths. Sexton right. is kind of built skill set wise to be a play finisher, not a play starter. And that's completely okay. So you know, I think ultimately what we're seeing is Garland is able to be that lead ball handler. So many mm-hmm. times last season, Garland was not in a place where he really was capable of doing that. Right. And, and that was one thing that we identified too was, hey, there's going to be more guys that are capable of actually running the offense. There, there's going to be more competent NBA players on this roster. I, I shouldn't say competent NBA players because, I mean, if you're in the NBA, you, you're good. But Um, guys that are actually able to shoulder some of the offensive load. And we were hoping that with some of that responsibility off of Sexton's shoulders, that we would see him play better off ball, that we'd see him play better defense and kind of figure out uh, when his scoring ability is drawing the attention of the defense and finding guys. And I think so far early returns are those three boxes have been checked off to some extent. Um, He's doing that early on. You want to see it continue 
but the, the two of them are really benefiting from playing with one another right now. And that that's really important when you're talking about building the foundation of something with this Cavs roster. For sure. Uh, I, I just, I've been so impressed with everyone uh, in on this team so far, especially this backcourt. I just think that ultimately this is kind of what we needed to see. We talk about this, this backcourt and, and it's, you know, frankly, well-publicized struggles or we want to make it work. We want, we, no one wants to bench Sexton. No one wants to bench Garland, but we kind of needed to see some proof of concept. Right. And I think we're starting to get that here. Yeah. And, and I think I've actually done a poor job kind of communicating why this pairing is important because these guys, I, I think both of them are important to the Cavs future. Obviously when you spend that kind of draft capital, you're invested in these guys, but no matter what role they're in, let's say they're playing 34 minutes a night. It doesn't matter who's starting or who's coming off the bench. It is impossible for them to both play 30 minutes a night without them at least playing 20 minutes together. And if five of those 20 minutes come at the start of the game, I don't necessarily think that's more important than any other minute through the game. And because they're going to be forced to play together, no matter what, um, it's important for them to learn how to function as a duo because coming off the bench or starting together, these guys need to be a positive when they're, they're playing together. So I, I think in an ideal world, you are always having one of them on the bench. Like I would want, or always having one of them on the court, I should say. Like, I, I think you, you never really want to have it unless it's garbage time with either Sexton or Garland on the floor. Like, those guys got to be out there because I, I think they just make the team more dynamic. Yeah, it has been really surprising to me the extent to which this team's success has been driven by the backcourt uh, mm. in, these, in yeah. this short three-game stri- stretch where, you know, I have seen – in the past, even when Sexton's had his gotten his, it hasn't felt particularly connected to the team's success. Mm-hmm. Whereas when those two are are cooking, and that doesn't mean scoring in big bunches, but when the offense is kind of running through them and we're seeing them get good, clean opportunities, it means that everything else is working really well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And you know what? Shout out Andre Drummond because it's – I, I think there was frustration, especially early in that Detroit game, because the Cavs were in a position where the success is coming as a result of the young guys. Like that was actually an interesting Isaac Okoro game because Okoro was not having a shot fall, zero points in that game, but was still having a positive impact on that game. And that is just something you do not see with 19 year old players very yeah. often. Yeah. But before I, I don't want to pivot to Okoro just yet, if that's okay. I, I wasn't going to. Okay, I, okay. I, I was I was mentioning that the success early on was coming as a result of the young guys. And then it kind of felt like, okay, we're, we're doing Andre and Kevin a, a favor in some ways, like kind of force feeding them certain possessions and the results weren't really good. But you got the full spectrum of drum in that game and you kind of saw how he him when he's on and when he's making good plays can really complement these young guards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's been a really interesting kind of decision J.B. Bickerstaff's made with this offense, which is, hey, we're going to put the ball in our bigs' hands in the high post almost every possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cavs may not have a perfect fitting team. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, but what they do have is they have bigs who are very, very capable and willing passers. Yeah, And you look at someone like, Nance or Love or Drummond, all three of them. Yeah, like 
sure, sometimes you're going to give it to Drummond and he's going to force a sloppy post up or a face up attack and Cavs Twitter is going to complain and that's fine, whatever. But what he, but when he decides he wants to play make, mm-hmm. he can put the ball where he wants to in a very, very uh, smooth, clean way that not a lot of bigs are capable of. I think there's always, uh, I think sometimes when we talk about passing ability, we kind of take two skills and lump them into one. There's mm-hmm. vision, ability to kind of read the court. And then there's actual passing ability, like placing the ball in the pocket, in the right spot. There's a lot of players who can see the game really well. And when it comes time to make the passes, they're always just a bit off. They're a bit askew. I, mm-hmm. I feel like Nan, I feel like someone like Drummond kind of falls in that latter half where he doesn't always, he gets bad tunnel vision. We know it. Uh, there have been a lot of post-ups this season already where, you know, people are clearly wide open on and three and he's got three guys on him and he doesn't see it. But when he decides he, when he sees a cutter and he wants to make the pass, he he's able to really slot it in there with some really nice bounce passes, drop passes. I know late in the, in the Detroit game, he hit Colin on a cut uh, right under the basket for an easy layup, like, and not an easy angle, by the way, like that's what he's able to do. So I, it, I just think the whole offense really makes sense. And that's why their bigs are averaging, I think, like a combined like 14 or 15 assists a game right now. Yeah. And it, it's funny because I've heard some people mention, well, if Andre Drummond's playing like this, he, he's going to have some trade value. Well, no, this is who Andre Drummond is. Like, yep. there are fr- frustrating yep. aspects of the way that he plays, but he's someone that does fill up the box score. He's someone that can provide really high upside plays. Um, so, I, I, while I understand what people are saying, you take the good with the bad one Drummond's on the roster. And I really do think that the importance of having three big men that are willing passers and that are able to find guys when they're outletting, that's so important for playing with these guards because Sexton in particular, like he's, he's leaking out all the time. And when Sexton doesn't have the ball in his hands and he's running as fast as he is, if you get him, if you find him, he's going to score because it's really, really difficult to stop Sexton when he doesn't have the ball. And I, I just think it's it's really meshing really well early on. And I, I'm just, I'm surprised at how much cohesion this team has, especially when they have been missing guys. Yeah, well, it's funny. You see it and it gets sloppy from time to time. Right. But one thing I will say is the other thing that these this group of bigs is good at, and it's not just the Kevin thing, though he's obviously the most publicized all three guys are really good outlet passers and all three are really good break starters. Mm-hmm. Whether, yep. and, and people like to joke uh, when Drummond uh, takes the ball down court after a rebound or, but like he, Nance are both guys who can start breaks off of rebounds right away without having to make a pass. And they're, they're finding guys. Colin Sexton is getting six to eight free points a game by just being faster than everyone else and having <laughs> bigs who can rebound and pass it to him. Like these are the kind of buckets that they, like the Cavs just didn't get a lot of easy buckets last year. They just didn't. I mean, I, I know you saw my tweet. I think Colin Sexton is up to like 53, 54% of his field goals are assisted this year mm-hmm. as opposed to last year where it was like 37. Like that matters that there's a reason he has a 66 true shooting percentage. And it's because the Cavs have a roster that is really doing a good job at accentuating his strengths. 
Right. I, I mean, you look at that last 46 game stretch after the Clarkson trade and he was scoring 23 points per game very efficiently. And that's without anybody really getting him easy looks like that was him kind of pure scoring ability. So you add these extra possessions that you're talking about where he is getting these off ball looks. He absolutely can get up to that 25 points a game type area and 60% true shooting percentage. I, I, I really think that that's achievable because he's finding how to be a dominant scorer without being ball dominant. And when you do have so many guys that can do other things, like it just clicks. Like it makes a lot of sense with this roster for him to function in that role. Yeah. It's funny. I remember one of my best friends uh, from home uh, used to joke that no one makes the NBA look harder than Dion waiters, like how hard he had to work <laughs> to get buckets. Like it's just like, just to get any layup. Like that's, what's been so encouraging about early Sexton is I don't feel like he's working that hard to get to his 25. Like 25 almost feels like a floor for him based on the way he's playing. And maybe, maybe we're going to get, you know, our, our come up in a couple games after things cooled off and, you know, tape gets out on this team. But right now he, this is mostly 25 on a, on a steady diet of, you know, two to three spot up threes that are wide open a game, three to four, three to five leak out easy layups in transition. Like, he, he's scoring well. I think he had 32 points against the Pistons with one free throw. Like, <laughs> like he's not having to work his ass off to get here. So I think that it's actually, you know, I always talk a lot about ceilings and floors as a, I'm sure everyone's sick of hearing it, but I don't think his ceiling is actually being affected that much right now. It's almost like his floor, like his floor is so high right now as a scorer that when he go, gets it going, it's going to be like a 45, 50 point night which we didn't get a lot of last year. Right. And, and I think with Sexton, I think if anything is going to kind of cut into some of his points per game, it's going to be whether or not in the future, Darius Garland gets more confident. Isaac Okoro gets more confident. Kevin Porter Jr. When he's back in the mix, like once there's more amounts to feed, maybe that is going to dig into it, but I'm pretty confident that he's going to be efficient this season. Cause I, I just think that his shot profile and the touches he gets is something that I, I don't think you can take it away as a defense. Like, I, I just think that he is a very talented scorer and it, it's working well. I mean, this is 2020 it has reshaped the way that the Cavs look just like it has reshaped your workspace. Businesses all over the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so that you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. And you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st, so you got to act quickly. Terms and conditions apply. Carter. Don't you dare 
forget about those terms and conditions, Justin. The NBA is back in action and football is headed to the playoffs. We got a new read. Football is not not back in the swing of things or whatever it was. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all those great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Justin, I'm sipping on an IPA right now, and it's making me real burpy. And I'm mm. just I'm just stifling them. Thank, thank you. Thank you for being just, a little gross. Just, just working through it. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, the Cavs are fun. and They are fun. Here, and you here, know what? Can I, can I ask you a question? You can. Before? I'll allow it. If I can, if I can take the host reins from you, ah, uh, yep, 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 make it happen. When, how long do you think this is going to last, and when do you think the rest of the league is going to take notice? Uh, so, I, I mean, we talked about this early on. Like, I'm not what I've seen so far from the Cavs hasn't changed my outlook of what this team is. Like, I picked Agreed. them to be a 27 win team. Um, I thought Darius Garland and Colin Sexton are being good. So them doing what I kind of expected, maybe Garland a little quicker than I anticipated, isn't really changing that calculus. Um, you look at some, the, the schedule up ahead and like February is a nightmare. Um, but the, the biggest thing is when everything is clicking with this team, I've said like, I think they're a top eight team in terms of talent, but the problem is when you're relying on this many young guys, there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be lulls and things like that. So you're going to win games against the Sixers when you didn't expect it, even without Joel and Joel Embiid, and you're going to lose games that you probably should win. Maybe, maybe it's tomorrow against the Knicks or today against the Knicks. If you're listening to it uh, on podcast form. Um, so I, I'm not really making a prediction on kind of when those bad games are going to come, but I, I do think that there is going to be adversity ahead for this team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, here's the, here's the reality. If they, if Joel Embiid plays and they lose in regulation, which they probably should have to Detroit, then, you know, maybe we feel a little different right now, but I, I uh, disagree with probably should have because the Detroit was in that game because Drummond was struggling so much to finish. Well, I'm Kevin sorry. Love I'm sorry. Let me, let, let, let me, let me rephrase. Yeah. When I'll we, jump down your were, throw for that one. When they were down eight with like three minutes to go yeah. and the Pistons just stopped scoring. Yeah. Like the Cavs did a good job to pull their way back in, but you know, win win probability and whatnot tells you you're probably not gonna win that game. But you know what? Did. So many people and so many people are fun. focusing people are focusing on what is not sustainable for the Cavs right now and kind of how this comes back to earth. And I, I think one of the areas where uh, this is going to come back to earth a little bit. And it's actually kind of an encouraging thing is I think a part of this hot start is the Cavs just look more prepared than other teams. Like, well, I, they look like they're working harder. Right. And, and yes, there's sloppy basketball that's going to happen after nine months off, but they seem to understand what their responsibilities are. And when they make a mistake, they understand why they made the mistake and what they were supposed to do on those plays. There's a lot of communication out there. And I, I really think that the coaching staff has done a good job preparing this roster because they've dealt with tons of injuries. 
They're rotating guys in and out and you're not really missing a beat. I mean, Kevin Love went down against the Sixers and like it didn't even change my thought process on what this outcome is going to be because I've seen them play well without Kevin Love. I've seen Nance step up. Dean Wade looks like a rotation player. Like the next man up mentality, maybe sometimes that's overstated, but the Cavs are actually prepared for when it's that next man up. Yeah, it, Leader Akola just mentioned in our comments on the Periscope, the thing that's encouraging is it hasn't been all roses. Every game has had stretches of bad, and that's true. They're uh, uh, Early against the Pistons, it was hideous. I mean, we nearly ruined poor Nikias Duncan's evening. Uh, <laughs> and I think he quit threading that game about I think he halfway through the second quarter because he couldn't take it anymore. So there has been a lot of ugly from this team. I do think part of that, and I want to talk about this, is a byproduct of how freaking much they're passing the ball. They're averaging 30-plus assists a game right now. But what that comes with, and you'll hear this all the time, there's always this idea of, you know, these teams that overpass will always have a lot of turnovers, and teams that underpass hold onto the ball. Like, you look at at the, the peak 2016 Warriors, they had a ton of turnovers because they were uh, a heavy passing, heavy motion offense. Passes get deflected. They get picked off. They get mishandled. They get thrown out of bounds. It just what that's what happens. You look at, you know, the old ISO Joe Hawks. They used to have a really good offensive rating because even though they weren't that efficient from the field, they never turned the ball over. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to see some really ugly plays from this team, but I'd much rather see these ugly stretches paired with the you know beautiful game-esque basketball that – Man, how long have we been waiting for this? Like, how long have we been waiting to see the Cavs play pretty offense without LeBron James involved? Since 2003? Yeah, I I mean, the flip side of that Warriors team was the Cavs under Ty Lue. Like, they were a very efficient offense that didn't waste a whole lot of movement uh, because there were a lot of veterans on that team, and they just had talented scorers, so they found creative ways to get them into isolation. Um, the, the Cavs are doing this with kind of a, you never know who's really going to create. Like the, there's a lot of big to big passing. There's uh, Nance con- contributing in, in a whole bunch of different ways, which my God, how good has he been? And Garland is starting to become very difficult for defenses to figure out what he's going to do on a given possession. I mean, they're biting on his hesitation moves. They, they respect the, the play him where shooter. he, the play where he froze Plumley was so fun. And it was like, those were the plays we just didn't get to see last year where Plumley had switched out on him around the right elbow, a uh, little hezzy, uh, you know, head and shoulder fake and just completely put him in, uh, you know, cement shoes on the way to an easy layup. Like, man, he, that, that Herky jerk game is really, really important for a guy like him. Who's as we noticed, still not an elite athlete by any means. And yeah, he, he's really, really hard to guard. And th- it just feels like teams are, constantly destabilized playing this team offensively right now right and even though he's not an elite athlete he is showing kind of like that elite change of direction handle that a player at six one needs to have if they're going to be a threat offensively like he's getting where he wants to on the floor and i'm i'm looking forward to uh looking too far ahead but i'm looking forward to thursday's game against indy because this that's a team that he saw in the preseason uh both preseason games he struggled from the floor early on before kind of having uh that efficiency come back up like we saw uh, against the sixers so third look at this team they have a lot of length they're going to pick them up full court uh they just have body after body they can throw at them 
I'm interested to see if that ends up being kind of the, the high turnover game. Is is that the game where uh, Indy just kind of takes away what the Cavs do best because teams are, are going to be a little more prepared for them. And these are the type of challenges that I find fascinating. Like I understand some people can only really watch a team if, if they're in contention for a championship, but I, I find this process fascinating. I'm, and to circle back to the, the question you asked earlier about how long it's going to take for people to take notice. I think the floor can fall out with this team a little bit. They, they can have losses, but as long as Sexton and Garland are, are playing well together and, and Isaac Okoro comes back and he continues his strong play and Kevin Porter Jr. comes back uh, once he and the team are ready uh, and he starts building on what he did last year. I really think that the Cavs are going to start popping up in a lot of these young core conversations, which was our number one goal from this season. Yeah. I mean, ultimately we just want this team to be fun. We want it. I, I feel like I remember when LeBron came back uh, in 2015, we kind of, I don't know if you remember kind of having this kind of feeling like this is awesome, but I do kind of miss that like no pressure, skip a step season. where you're a little bit better than you think you should be like that's where i feel like this what this team has an opportunity to do which is no we don't expect this team to be a playoff team uh and we think that eventually the schedule is going to get way tougher and there's going to be teams that take away the low-hanging fruit these kind of floor raising veterans someone like javel who has been really really good for this team Mm -hmm. you know good teams expose players like JaVale McGee. And we get that. We understand that. But what we can see is that this team is showing us those flashes, those kick-ass moments where you go, oh, there's something coming here. And that that's what I'm most enjoying about this young season so far. Right. The, the process is sound, which is what we've been talking about, right? Like, I, I think the right coaching staff is in place. I've been a fan of the, the draft selections that the front office has made. And, you know, like, I know I'm crazy. I I understand this. I have self-awareness. I understand that I am a crazy person, but at the same time, like I'm going to skew optimistic, but I'm not going to say stuff just because I I wish it to be so like I thought yeah, you only do that like half the time. Right. Exactly. I I, honestly, I'm more prone to do that with someone like Jetty Osmond or Dylan Windler, where it's a question on whether or not they actually exist. And then like a, a prospect like Garland. But I mean, I, I really thought that Garland could be a franchise point guard. And now there's more proof of concept to that sort of an argument. Like I, I can actually point to those games and say, okay, this is kind of what I was anticipating. This is why I'm excited. This is why I think it can work with Sexton. And this is why I am high on what the Cavs are doing right now. I mean, it's, it's not something blind. Like I'm happy that it's looking right. I also acknowledge that this is something we're not going to figure out in the first 20, 30 games of this season, but the flashes are, are consistent early on. Like that's the kind of thing you want to see, uh, especially with someone that was kind of touted as a potential franchise point guard. Like now that he's healthy, you want to see that on a fairly consistent basis. Yeah. I, I feel like it's almost like, I feel like flashes is almost an insulting word to describe the first couple of games for Garland, maybe fireworks. Yeah. Maybe we need to change our, our, our spotlight. It yeah, is I, just a spotlight, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk about, Okoro, who obviously hurt his calf against the Pistons, uh, didn't end up playing against the Sixers. I thought he was ankle. Uh, maybe he was. No, it was yeah. a foot. Foot strain? Yeah. We well, he he, Don't he worry rolled about the, it. the ankle. It was a strain. Yeah. I, I think Kevin loves the calf, but proceed. Yeah, Love is the calf. Love is definitely the calf. Something else happened to Okoro. Doesn't matter. He's hurt. 
point is, uh, what have you thought about his early season appearance? Because I tweeted this, but normally when a fifth overall pick plays 42 minutes without a single point and goes over fourth in the field, Cavs Twitter would be having a conniption. And I didn't see a single, the only anti-Okoro tweets I saw actually were from just general NBA or national people who were like, oh, he played 42 minutes with only four shots because he's kind of the new toy that NBA Twitter wants to fall in love with. You can kind of tell. Yeah. But uh, I didn't see any hand-wringing from Cavs Twitter. And I think that's kind of a statement about the kind of basketball he's played so far. I think it's both that and it's also a product of having other young guys that were doing good stuff. Like that was that was the peak of Sexland. Like game one was the peak, then game two became the new peak. Like they, they just built and when off they that. peak, we'll know it. Ooh, they'll peak all over the place, Carter. Uh, <laughs> solid reference. I appreciate that. Um, but the it takes pressure off of him, right? Like when it was just Jetty and Sexton. Um, an off shooting night really stands out because that's the reason you're tuning in as a fan that that's your future right there Uh, with Okoro. It's okay that he's doing the little things because he has those two that are doing that. We wanted him for right. What we wanted him for. Uh, This is a team desperately in need of the little things. They threw him on Terry Rozier when they needed to cool him down. They threw him on Hayward when they needed to cool him down, threw him on Derek Rose for a stretch, threw him on Blake Griffin for a stretch. And he's been pretty apt to take the, take the challenge. Uh, in that game against the Hornets, he kind of got up there a couple times too, which was not something I was expecting to see. Yeah, that that dunk was a lot of fun. Like he he fills in the gaps and, and he finds a way to make an impact. I mean, he was a big part of why that game went to overtime, right? Like he, he shut off their water and uh, forced the shot clock violation. Like he's he's playing really really well, and it's encouraging. I I have to imagine someone with his kind of IQ that has picked up stuff the way that he has having two games now because he's not going to play against the Knicks, at least two games where he's sitting on the sideline and kind of viewing things, uh, taking a step back, that's probably going to be a benefit to him because you know that coaching staff is going to be in his ear pointing out things. Um, the, the game is still probably pretty quick for him. And maybe it ends up kind of paying some dividends. But I, I do think early on, like, this is what you want to see. He's ahead of the curve and he – Honestly, he's making me rethink kind of my uh, my ceiling rankings because if you remember, we, we talked about that uh, with the Locked On Cavs guys where we were doing our rankings and I had KPJ 1, uh, Garland 2, um, then I, I had Sexton after that. Okoro, like his two-way play, that that's really, really valuable, especially because it does look like he is able to guard the four positions like it was suggested he might be able to. Yeah, one thing I if we're picking nits, and I think we probably should, just in the interest yeah. of you know full disclosure, do think he looks a little smaller than I than I thought he might. There are a That's few true. times where I go, is he really more of a six four than a six six? Um, he looks a little shorter than I thought he was, but the stoutness has more than made up for it. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I think by the by the next offseason, I don't anticipate him being able to add a ton of this stuff during this weird compressed year. But I think next offseason, he's going to need to get in a, drib, a gem and just say handles. Yeah. Uh, he is not an explosive first stepper. He needs uh, players to kind of be off balance for him to attack them. And he's going to need to generate space and momentum with his handle. So I think that's his number one thing that I see that he goes, that when I watch him, where I go, yep, that's the next step. And when the handle is there, everything's going to get super easy for him. Mm-hmm. So 
I, I'm really encouraged. Yeah, the jumper didn't fall against Detroit, and obviously it stunk to have him get hurt, especially on a weird play where he just kind of biffed an alley hoop. Man, uh, if that play would have been converted, oh my god! Like not not only would he have not got hurt, that that would have brought the house down because that that was in the middle of a, a fun run as well. You know what? It, it was definitely a weird play, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with picking Nitzgarter. I mean, that's part of like when you're watching a young team properly identifying what they don't do well or what they can build upon that's how you can track the progress of these guys right like that that was one of the things with sexton was okay we identified he doesn't have a three-point shot yet he's not really strong enough he doesn't seem confident with it it wasn't moving goalposts with them it was he's starting to clear all these different bars the, the different things you want to see from a progression standpoint he, he kept figuring that stuff out so you have to come up with okay well what's the next thing we want to see him add to his game and i i agree with your assessment because once okoro is able to tighten up his handle like look at where he's at and look where jetty was when he first started with the Cavs. jetty had a loose handle his shot was uglier than okoro's and look at jetty now like the the mechanics are so much better with the jumper his handle's looking more confident he's looking more confident so if you you take someone with Okoro who's already kind of at this floor with what he can contribute and you see that sort of a progression, it, he's going to be really dynamic. It's funny. I was about to say, you know, a player with whom I have no nits to pick, Colin Sexton. Uh, I'm sorry, Colin Sexton. Chatty Osmond. Uh, my brain is fried. Mm. Uh, and my cat is scratching on the door as he is wont to do mid-podcast. You're also very impressed with Colin Sexton. So let, well, yeah, let's... that's fair. I'm impressed with him. But I have no nits to pick with Jetty. Jetty was a guy, we talked about this uh, during preseason, where we went nine months of podcasts with nothing to talk about, and we still didn't talk about Jetty Osmond. Like, wasn't, we had, wasn't even a consideration. Wasn't on our radar that he might get better. And yeah, he his numbers are buoyed, buoyed by probably unsustainably good three-point shooting i mean he's not gonna shoot 58 percent all year wow but, hater well, hater i know but nevertheless the way he's playing is just like so different i mean he's cutting with like with like reckless abandon he's finishing at the rim uh he's being a killer in transition that we always kind of thought he might be able to be he's bombing from three off curls off off relocations he's just playing really well and the handle as you mentioned Oh my God, quite, quite the jump uh, as a ball handler. I, there was a play in semi-transition where he really shook Jeremy Grant with a crossover. He ended up stopping the ball and, and kicking it to an open three-point shooter before he really attacked it. But he's just really, really impressing me. And if he's someone who can give you 15 points a game in 20 minutes, uh, like he's giving them right now, man, those bench minutes get really, really good with him and Nance coming off the bench. Not even to mention Kevin Porter Jr., who hasn't suited up yet. Mm -hmm. and, and Dylan Windler that looked good mm -hmm. when he was healthy but before exactly. Hayward took him out I mean we, we're on the verge of maybe having some good problems to have in the near future so I'm I'm very excited about that the the thing with Jetty I mean he's really playing well um the, the jumper is quicker and the thing that kind of came to my mind as I'm watching him play I remember last season one of the things we talked about was that the, the Cavs didn't really have a lot of three-point makes and people kept mentioning how they needed to add a shooter, add a shooter, uh, try, try to get more shooting on the perimeter. What the Cavs were really lacking was someone that could actually go out there and create those three-point shots. They had guys That's a that great could, point. They had guys that could knock down three-point shooters. The, the percentages were all good individually. But now that Darius Garland is collapsing the defense, Sexton is 
coming off of off ball and, and recognizing opportunities. Nance and Drummond is, is forcing doubles, by the way. It, Drummond's forcing doubles and they're actually finding guys. Now you're starting to see the shooting potential that was already on the roster, plus the additions that they brought in, like a guy like Damian Dotson making smart plays and playing team basketball out there, hitting shots, making extra passes in the minutes he's getting. Like it, they, they really have a lot of intelligent ball players here. And one thing that stood out to me as well is just how well Dean Wade has filled in whenever he's been asked to like, He's looking like a rotation player. I'm, I'm not crazy there, right? And at the 43-minute mark, we get to Dean Wade. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really, really pleased with, with Wade so far. I think he's the jumpers looked good. He's moving pretty well defensively. And no, I don't know if he's going to be... I don't know if he's going to be a rotation player for the next phase of the Cavaliers, but he certainly is the kind of guy... I remember before the season, we talked about... I kind of mentioned that I thought he would be the kind of guy who actually got some rotation chances this year, whereas mm-hmm. last year, there were a few times where we were kind of ready to see something, anything, that was kind of maybe fun, and they still wouldn't give him the minutes. I think he's definitely earned this these minutes. He got... You know, he went from a two-way and uh, earned a, a full-time contract with the team, and yeah, he's looked really, really good. And I think he's going to continue to have minutes because as we've said, this is a front court that is there and good, but you know, the power forwards are kind of fragile. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to play a, a big part of the rotation when the Cavs make the playoffs next, but season. I'm not bummed, but I'm not bummed when he's out there. No, no, absolutely. Like he's a rotation player. Like he looks like a rotation player in the NBA and that can either happen in Cleveland or it can happen elsewhere. I mean, when you look at it, if he's playing well in his minutes and you get to the trade deadline and teams are looking to kind of fill out a trade and maybe you're pairing him in, in a deal with another guy and people are looking at that as kind of a, a value, maybe upside uh, player where they, they can get some rotation minutes out of him, a little three-point uh, shooting and defense. Like, that's a great thing to have. And it just kind of speaks to the player development, right? Like, not everybody the Cavs are going to develop are going to be contributors on this team, but by developing everybody that you bring into the system and trying to help them reach their potential, you can consolidate talent. You, you can find uh, rotation players after you consolidate. I mean, that's a big part of the Toronto Raptors success. Um, so to me, it's just another encouraging sign that the, the right people are in place and um, another example of some decent scouting and kind of finding value on the fringes. For sure. I'm just really, really pleased so far. I feel it. He's uh, he's mentioned it a couple times in the in the uh, in the chat, and I don't want to I don't want to leave him in the dark. Nolan uh, Cavs fan has asked a couple times about uh, what you think a Colin or I'm sorry, a Dante Exum extension looks like. Uh, have you thought about him as the team's backup point guard so far? And I don't know about an extension, but is he someone you're interested in kind of having around for the next couple of years? I'm I'm pleased with his play. Um, I I think. The primary thing with Exum is you want him to stay healthy. You would like to see him play his way into trade value. And then when the deadline comes, you kind of assess, all right, what offers are out there on the market? What makes sense? Um, but when you're kind of looking at this long term, uh, we, we talked about this before the season. Once everybody's back, you kind of anticipate Kevin Porter Jr. is that guard. Like you, you're looking at the bench as KPJ, Windler, Jetty, Larry, and JaVale. Um, and when one of Sexland is probably your first sub, 
you're either bringing in KPJ, you're bringing in Okoro, you're bringing, or not Okoro, you're bringing in Windler or Jetty. Um, it becomes tougher to get him minutes. Um, so I, I think I, I'm fine with him being part of the roster. I think I, what he brings to the table is exciting. But when there's so many mouths to feed and you kind of want to see what KPJ can do in initiating the offense, there just might not be opportunity with him. So I, I think you're, the best case scenario is finding out what you have and maximizing the minutes he's here and then making an assessment at that time. I, I, I wouldn't jump to do an extension just from a flexibility standpoint, but he's not someone that I'd be upset about if they brought him back in the off season. I, I completely agree. I think he's a really, he actually is kind of a, he fits the deli mold yeah. where he, you can bring him in to provide, really fundamental strong play plus he's really big for a guard so he's a mm-hmm. good switchy defender they threw him on ben simmons a couple times uh last night i've been pretty pleased with him i think you're right i think he's the first man out of the rotation uh though right now they're only playing nine guys uh when it really matters uh when everyone's healthy so maybe they extend it to 10 to get him eight to ten minutes a game uh if, if he continues to earn it but ultimately you know, I do think he's probably the odd man out, which is why you don't rush to extend guys like that. But yeah. to bring him back next year on a on a team friendly deal, absolutely, I think he's actually a really kind of good culture guy for this team. Yeah, and him being productive, I, I mean, to some extent, that's been a question. But the main thing with him is health, right? Like it's durability, and him playing well in, in a couple games so far this season after already missing some time, that doesn't really answer the whole health question. So I I do think that um, it's nice to see minutes from him. I mean, look at it this way. Both Dante Exum and JaVale McGee are giving them valuable bench minutes. They're they're giving them a veteran presence, a steady hand. And both of those guys, these bench players for the Cavs, by just bringing them in, they got three second round picks for these guys. So the, the Cavs made asset moves that also give them valuable rotation minutes. And like, that's, that's a win-win. If you turn Dante Exum into some value at the deadline, that's an even bigger win. If he ends up being somebody that, Hey, he, he likes it in Cleveland. He likes the coaching staff. He f- sees a route to playing his way into the rotation and staying in the rotation. If he's playing well, that is also a win. So I, I think at this point uh, in kind of the uh, the Cavs renaissance, um, you want to evaluate all options. So I, I think the primary one is looking at the, the trade market once um, that time of year comes around. But if he ends up playing a, a spot on this team, I'm, I'm certainly not going to be upset about it. Uh, I think uh, in the interest of, you know, we're getting probably near the back of the pod. So I think we just keep the mailbag open. Uh, Maddie C. Holzer in the, uh, in the chat just asked if we somehow reach seven or eight seed territory, do we try to make a long-term deal to Drummond? And I'll take this one first, if you don't mind as the mm-hmm. preeminent, uh, Andre Drummond defender on Cavs Twitter right now, I would say this, I've always been amenable to an Andre Drummond deal. If the money is right, what neither of us have been comfortable with this whole run has been paying him 25 to $30 million a year and capping your flexibility for a player who probably is not going to get you over the hump. And, and what you, the worst thing you can do is commit long-term money to a guy like Andre Drummond and then find yourself balking at paying Colin Sexton 
Darius Garland, any of the young core that you Mm -hmm. really, really want to kind of be on your team moving forward. That's when it starts to become a problem. And sure, we'd love to pretend like every owner has bottomless pockets and should just spend uh, deficit spend like crazy, but most owners don't do that. Uh, And and the Cavs have an owner who, frankly, is more willing to do that than most, but even everyone has a limit, especially if this team isn't a, a true contender yet. So Yes, I am completely fine. I've been completely fine from the beginning with an Andre Drummond extension, as long as that number is at a reasonable place. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I mean, I said before, like, if it's a 360 deal, I'm 100% fine with that. Um, I I would assume that coming into the season, the Cavs kind of made it clear what they'd be willing to pay Drummond. He wanted more, and that's why we're not at this point. I think that that's a reasonable assumption given the reporting that's out there. Um, but I mean, they knew what Andre Drummond was when they made that assessment. It's not like he's playing completely different than what you anticipated. If the Cavs are an eight seed and this is, this is actually going to be, this, this will be one of the few times I'm willing to address a uh, lot of odds talk and that sort of thing. If the Cavs are actually an eight seed and we're midway through the season. That means Colin Sexton and Darius Garland are franchise players in all likelihood, because there, there's no route to that without that being the case. Like these guys, they'd have to play like all-stars for that to be true, especially Garland, because he is the only point guard on the roster and the one that's responsible for making this work. So um, I think you maximize the, the talent of who's on the roster. I'd love, I, I shouldn't say I'd love to keep Drummond, but I, I would be open to it for sure. Um, it, it's just going to be a matter of, what offers are out there on the market. Maybe you get a younger center that fits better with the timeline. Uh, There's so many things to evaluate, but um, if it's between keeping Drummond or love in a vacuum, I'd rather keep Drummond. I couldn't agree more. Um, And, you know, I I think that this is where the Cavs just need to be smart, maintain their flexibility and make sure they don't overcommit, but make sure they don't, you know, they're not closed minded to the idea that maybe that this, if this, if this team continues to be more successful than we or they thought they were going to be that you shouldn't, you know, cut off your nose to spite your face here. Like, like sure. Drummond is not the perfect archetype of a player. Sure. He's going to make a few decisions that make you go, but you know what he does? He creates a lot of free possessions for you with his offensive rebounding. He gets teams in the bonus by drawing fouls. And though he's not an elite rim protector, he provides something archetypally or I don't know the word. He's the right archetype. I don't know how to say that word in the way I was trying to say it. He's the right archetype for them defensively in being a big that can play drop coverage, has fast and active hands to help disrupt passing lanes for guards that sometimes struggle to get through screens. So he makes a lot of sense for this team as they kind of progress this year. And I wouldn't be in a hurry to dump him for nothing. That's for sure. No, absolutely. But uh, as you mentioned before, we're running a little long. I can hear Millie screaming at you. Um, Well, screaming at my wife. Ah, Well, no, I think she's also screaming at you. I I don't think she agrees with all of your takes. I I agree with most of them. I I think you had a pretty strong podcast. But, you know, we're, we're back at this twice a week i could not be happier to be recording twice a week the podcast we were going to be recording after the indiana game with dave dufour of the athletic very excited to have dave on the podcast after i botched that last booking so i want to give a massive shout out to all of our listeners for sticking with us through this 
incredibly long time. The Cavs are fun again. You just absolutely love to see it. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of our exclusive Chase Down Discord, you can send us a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. No matter how you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Big thanks again to Carter. Thanks to all our listeners. Thanks to Dave for putting up with me, and I'm excited to talk to him on Thursday. And until next time, go Cavs. We're clear.